The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. We're in our series, Major Messages Through the Minor Prophets. Uh, we're going to be in a book tonight called, how, it depends how you want to pronounce it, Habakkuk, 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 um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm not sure what page it is. There's a Bible around you. If you didn't bring your own Bible with you, bring your Bible to church. Bring your own Bible to church. But if you didn't bring one or don't have one, there are black Bible, black covered Bibles underneath the chairs around you. You need to find the table of contents to find Habakkuk. It's somewhere past Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then I can't even tell you where to go next. So I've got to find it myself here. Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Nam, Habakkuk. Here we go. I'm finding it. Habakkuk, chapter 1. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Thanks, Steve. Hello. So I was 29 years old when I found out that my husband and I would not be able to conceive a child. We had been married for four years already, and we had been trying, doing all the like fun things that nobody needs to know about, trying <laughs> to find out if we can have a baby. And I will never forget at that doctor's appointment where the doctor told my husband and I, he said, you have a less than 1% chance. And it's so hard to explain how much that hurt. On mine and Joey's very first date, which I don't recommend, we talked about having children. I wanted, I wanted 16, he wanted five. I mean, we loved children. We felt like that was a thing that we desperately wanted. And so that was like getting hit with a giant wrecking ball into our lives. And then, I don't know about you, but when you hear doctors and they tell you something, I was like, that's not true. I live with rose-colored glasses on. I don't know if you know that about me, but I'm a very positive person, but I also was like, the doctors are wrong. We're going to get pregnant. And then it went on for six more years after that, and it was this constant disappointment every single month where I turned to my husband and I just saying, how long? How long, God? How long before you answer our prayers? How long before you grant us the desires of our hearts? How long before you give us what we want? We've done all the right things. We've checked all the right boxes. We serve. We volunteer. I worked in a church. How long, God, do I have to wait for you to answer my prayer? And then we were at a camp, and I was speaking at a high school camp. And they asked my husband to do a testimony. And he got up there, and he, you saw the moment happen while he's inside, outside giving his testimony, we're at a lake, it's beautiful. 
And I watched something click in him where his face even changed. And he said, all we've talked about and all we've wanted for so long is to have a child. And he's in his testimony. He goes, and I release that to you, God. That's no longer a prayer request of mine. Tiny bit of me was like, but it's still mine. <laughs> and he had this joy and peace where I felt like he even like walked a little bit like happier. And then that night, no lie, like I'm giving my speaking and I'm talking. And it happened to me too where I felt like this release where I can say, okay, God, like I release that to you. And that how long after 10 years was finally we were able to say it doesn't matter. So today, we're in the book of Habakkuk. So I have to tell you, I grew up saying Habakkuk. You say Habakkuk, we say tomato, you say tomato. Let's call the whole thing, right? So we're in that, and Habakkuk was a prophet in a time where he would have experienced reigning in or being in a time where God was over the nation and the nation that he was in, Judah, was serving God. So he would have saw that at one point. And then as uh, time has passed on and king after king after king, the king that he was now under was no longer serving the God of Israel and Judah and was doing all of these horrible things. So he had experienced greatness and then he was now not able to have it. And so it was a hard and trying time for him to sit when the land was fruitful in worshiping his God into a place that was so far from it. The name Habakkuk is derived from the Hebrew verb embrace. So his name probably means he who embraces or he who clings. And it's a perfect name for this prophet because he came to a faith through embracing difficult and hard questions with God. This book is different than some of the other books that we're going to talk about because it's a lament. And so all of this is, this is a passionate expression, but it's not just a poem. It's not just like a, oh, let's read Psalms and everyone hold hands and be like, yay. This is a passionate plea, a wrestling match of grief and sorrow, and he's bringing God's attention to injustice and ungodliness. And so it starts out, all right, God, let's talk. It starts off with him bringing a question to God. And right there, I want to tell you that God is not afraid of your questions. I grew up in a place where we weren't allowed to ask questions. You just read the Bible. And that's what God says. Well, why did God say it? Because God said it. And then that was it. There was no discussion. There was no opportunity for debate. I remember one time asking because I had brown eyes and everyone else in my family has green and blue eyes and I felt like that was super rude of God. And so I remember telling my mom, why did God make me this way? She, oh, ooh, we don't, we don't do that. Like that's not a thing that we do. And so I always thought that I would just have to say, I blindly accept whatever happens and that God was scared of my questions. That God couldn't handle what a little 13-year-old girl was going to ask him, much less later in life what a woman who was struggling could ask. But 
if you read the Bible, you see all throughout very, very godly men and women asking God questions, bringing things to God that they don't agree with. And you guys have the freedom to do that. I want to break some childhood chains off of you that it's okay to ask questions. And then in verse 2, his question is, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? I don't know if I'm talking to God, like that's my first thing of like, how long are you not going to answer me? But he's sitting in a time where he's not seeing good things happen, but he's seeing these huge injustices. He's seeing politics and fraud and people suffering. And so his question to God is this, the beginning of a wrestling match. It's the beginning of a, a conversation with God that says, I've got some things to talk to you about. And I know right now that some of us have some things to talk to God about. I believe that some of us right here have a how long question. How long must I? You guys can fill in the blank. How long must I be single? How long before my children get saved? How long must I be in pain? How long before family relationships get better? How long do I have to keep working this hard and not getting anywhere? How long do my kids have to suffer? How long before my kids grow out of this season? How long before he learns how to fold the laundry? <laughs> He's not here, so we could say that one. How long must I suffer from depression? How long must I suffer from anxiety? How long must I live in uncertainty? Question for you tonight. How long is this sermon going to be? We'll see. <laughs> for you right now, I want you to fill that in. I want you to take the same journey that Habakkuk took with the Lord, where whatever it is that you're going through, and it doesn't have to be massive or major, it can really be a simple thing of how long, and whatever it is, you take this. This is for you. And so it goes on to say, violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Just a little side note. Does that sound like 2023? Right? It's so for us today because I feel like whenever I am in social media I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight I am surrounded by people who love to nitpick down to the very last thread of whatever it is so that we can be right and we are surrounded by that. And we experience that so much that we can resonate where he's saying. There's violence, there's destruction, there's wars in the world today. There's social media where we're surrounded by that. The law has become paralyzed and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Habakkuk's complaints about violence and destruction his cry was so deep 
of this cannot go on anymore. I can't sit here and allow these things to happen and watch them. And then here's God's response. I'm going to paraphrase and just jump you to verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. What? Just keep going. It's so fun. Skip down to verse 11. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. God's response to Habakkuk was, look out. It's going to get worse. Are you so glad you came to church this weekend? I'm sending the Babylonians to march across your land and conquer it. When Babylonians eventually came against Judah, they came as they were sent by the Lord. It's not that they didn't want to go. They wanted to go. But if they didn't have the urging from the Lord, they probably would not have been successful. And so here we go. You just wrote... How long must I? God says it's going to get worse. What do you do when it gets worse? What do you do when you thought it was just going to be this financial trouble and then it turns into a failing marriage? What do you do when it's, I not only can't have children, but I'm sick? I just lost my job and then my car broke down. The, the washer machine broke down. And then the dishwasher's overflowing. Like, what else can possibly happen? Why is this a thing, God? Why are you making it worse? And I love, 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 love his response. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. If our prayer, after we're told it's going to get worse, could only be so pure, right? Would we not have some choice words as we pray? Which is okay, God's also not afraid of that. And he says, but God, you're so good. How can you do this to us? And then, fast forward to verse 17. And then, will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? Sometimes it just feels like whatever's going on, that season, that's probably like the most annoying phrase that Christians use. It's just a season. Like spring? <laughs> like four months or ten years because that feels more than a season will they succeed forever will this go on for forever God will there be destruction it's going to get worse than it is now how long do I have to endure this this lamenting is not a touchy feely love song this is a heartfelt, passionate wrestling match. 
And we've done that. And if you have not done that in your prayer time, where you felt such deep anguish in your prayer that you got to God and you said, what? You are missing out. Because there's a freedom in there to say, I know you love and accept me just as I am. (laughs) But this is tough. And this is so hard. And you're going to make it worse. What is your response when it gets worse? I could tell you mine. If you know me, you kind of probably know. Panic, disbelief. I didn't sign up for this. How can this be? I'm a good person. Did you lie to me, God? Or it's just a feeling of, this is just another day in the series of bad days that sum up the season of my life. As we continue on in chapter 2, Habakkuk's ending to this plea is so simple, but it's such great wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Sometimes we just need to wait. Sometimes we don't like to wait. We want to fix it. We want to go out and say, my God, you're wrong. And I could do this myself. And I'm not waiting anymore. I'm going to go find every single possible thing that I can do to fix it myself. Or I'm going to do every possible thing that I can to numb myself, to not experience this waiting time. Sometimes as we're waiting for God's response, the only way we can wait is we try to escape it, and we fill it, our hearts, with so much noise pollution that we're unable to hear God's voice if he was talking to us. Instead of sitting in the watchtower, we're sitting in a bar. We're sitting in a winery because we're Temecula. (laughs) We're sitting in a casino because there's Pachanga. We're sitting anywhere where we're supposed to be than other waiting for God. We're sitting on our couch and we're Netflixing. We're Huluing, like Disney Plusing, Star Warsing, right? All of the things that we can be doing. I learned a phrase at women's retreat this last week called doom scrolling. And if you know what that is, where you're on a reel and you're on your phone and you're just like, how many times can you watch a cat get scared of a cucumber, right? How many times can you watch these videos over and over again, but you watch them so much so you don't have to think about what God is having you sit in? And you said, I will wait, but I'm going to escape the waiting. And God replies, Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This is a vision for the future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. 
When God says, write this down, then it's no longer just for Habakkuk, but it's for you. So that that message can go out to everyone. And just real quick, notice it says plainly. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not complicated. We complicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We complicate the Bible. He says, write it plainly so that everyone can see. Just because God is using Babylon doesn't mean he endorses them. Just because someone is more successful than you or you feel like God's favor is on their life because you're watching them run the same rat race as you, but they're two houses ahead of you. They're so far ahead of you. Their children are good, right? They're, they're happy. They've got great hair. Whatever it is that you're, you're comparing yourself to where you're like, God's favor is on them. God must endorse them. God must have a banner saying like, good job, Babylon. No. Just because he uses them doesn't mean he endorses them. In verse 4, it says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteousness, the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So this is a verse I want to pause for. Because this is one of the most quoted, not the, one of, the most quoted verses in the New Testament. It's about eight or nine times that it's quoted or referenced. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. We are called to live by faith and nothing else. Some of us that call ourselves believers, we try to live by devotions. We try to live by head knowledge. We try to live by really great messages. Some of us live by works. We just do and do and do and do and do. And that's what we believe is the thing that's going to save us. We believe that if we have enough works, that that's the thing we're called to live by. But we are called to live by faith and nothing else. Some Christians live by feelings. I did student ministries for over 20 years. Praise God when they're like, I felt it. You're like, yeah, you're not always going to feel it. And those are the times where you still must serve God and God is good. You can't just live by your feelings and emotions. But you need to live by faith and nothing else. Some of us live by our circumstances. Some of us live by our parents' faith, our spouses. Each of these is meaningless, and I would dare say dangerous, to live by without faith. Works are good. Works got this done. Right? Knowledge is good. Praise God for the people smarter than me. But when you do that without faith, then it's about you, and it's not about God. Amen. So the way that we can continue to endure so that we can live faithful to God and not ourselves is we've got to have more of God. We're going to put a pin in that, though, because I'm going to come back. I want you guys to scroll down to verse 16. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. 
Come drink and be exposed. This is God talking. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment, and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forest of Lebanon, now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. And it's so funny because we're like, oh, we don't talk to idols. Y'all talk to your phones all the time. You guys talk to your idols. You're so convinced that this little thing is going to be the thing that's going to save you. Sorry, I was going to keep reading the scripture. Okay. <laughs> to speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. We have so many idols that are lifeless inside. But the Lord is holy in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What he's saying is Babylon will fall, and they too will experience the wrath of God. And not just that Babylon for that time, but every Babylon will fall. We have watched great nations rise and fall all the time. And through it all, the point is proven. I don't think Habakkuk could understand why God's judging his sinful nation with a more sinful nation. But God reminds him that he will have ultimate triumph over the wicked. We need to understand that in the end, God wins. The frustration and sadness that we experience now, sometimes we live because we don't know what happens at the end. We're sitting there right there with Judah, and we're like, what's going to happen next? And there's an entire book that tells you what happens, is that God wins. And that's what he's, God is trying to communicate with him. But one of the things that you have to also note in that is there wasn't a promise that in Habakkuk's life that they would fall. Just one day that they would. And so here's his response. Chapter 3. I have heard all about you, Lord, and I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. If you sit in that conversation of, I'm really mad at you, but God, you are still so good. I am hurting so bad but I am in awe of who you are. And if we're able just a tiny bit to start phrasing our prayers like that, I'm going to go down to verse 10. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The way that Habakkuk sees God. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. For us to be able to see God in that way, 
Habakkuk responded with praise and giving glory to God. He turned the conversation from just looking at him and looking in a mirror, and he put the mirror down, and he was able to look at the God of the heavens. He was able to start to realize his place in verses of who God is. And I, I keep trying to figure that out because then he gets to verse 16, and he says, And I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on their vine, even though the olive crop fails and fields lie empty and barren, even though flocks die in the fields and cattle barns are empty, saying, even if there's no food and we're going to starve to death, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. There's four things that I think we can take out of this, of how we can start to flip our story. And the first one is, he waits quietly. We need to wait quietly. I think I've talked about it a few times already, but just hear me for a second. Shh. I feel like we've done enough talking sometimes. And we have exhausted our words to express just how dang angry we are. And it's okay to just wait quietly. It's okay to stop texting. It's okay to stop scrolling. It's okay sometimes to just sit in the presence of God. And this is the one that gets me, and it gets me so hard that I have to tell you that I have wrestled with this next two words more than you know. Poor Steve, I went into his office on Thursday, and I said, hey, Steve, I'm going to just emotionally dump on you. If you know anything about our pastor Steve, is he's a, not a feeler. So he's like, oh, great, thanks. Because it says, even if, even if these things don't happen, I will praise you. What? Nothing was promised. At the end of the book, it's just done. It doesn't say, okay, thank you. Like last week, I want to preach last week when God restores fields of locusts, right? Like, praise hallelujah. No, Steve's like, you're going to end with nothing is promised. And you just have to sit with it. And these are the even ifs. So even if I have to stay single. Even if my children get, never get saved. Even if I'm in pain for forever. Even if family relationships never get better. Even if I never get anywhere with work. Even if my kids have to suffer until they are called home. Even if your kids never grow out of that bad habit even if they never know where to put the laundry, even if there's no end to anxiety, even if you suffer with depression your entire life, 
even if you have to live a life of uncertainty? What if it never gets better? What's your even if? As I sit here right now, I think of some of yours. And can you write it down? Truly and say, even if I don't get this, this is what I'm going to do. Because then the next thing he says is, the Lord is my strength. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Psalms 28, 7 is to me just this verse that I want to cling to, where it says, the Lord is my strength and shield. I will trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. I know you guys are strong. I have seen what you guys carry, but you cannot depend on your own strength. You cannot depend on the strength of your spouse, of your small group leader, of your pastor, of your buddy, some of you of your kids. You cannot depend on the strength of other people. I'm so relational, it's terrifying. Like, I love people to where I scare you sometimes. But I cannot love you so hard that you are my strength. The song doesn't go, my strength and help comes from my hot husband. My strength and help comes from my pastor. Right? It can't be that. Your strength has to come from the Lord. I talked to Crystal a lot today about strength. Crystal's our worship pastor. She's also like buff as buff. Right? Okay. And I said, where does strength come from? And she said that you have to hit muscle failure, right? You have to carry heavy things over and over again. Get this, consistently. So not one time you go through a hard thing. You consistently are going through hard things over and over again. And that builds strength in your muscles. God is the same way is that he is going to walk alongside you as you are going through hard things over and over again consistently to maximum failure, to lying on the ground, to sitting in a doctor's office bawling in front of a person you've never seen before, right? And over and over and over again. And that is how strength is built. And they get heavier and heavier she said something so fun that I can't just, like, stop it. But she said, we don't max squat alone. You don't pick up the heaviest weight and do it on your own. And for some of us are trying to pick up the heaviest weight of our entire life, and we are doing it by ourselves. And what he's saying is, the Lord is my strength. And he makes me as sure-footed as the deer. And what he's talking about when he says a sure foot of the deer, it's not a deer running on the beach. Have you ever seen a deer on the beach? Like with flat sands and he's like, bloop, bloop, bloop. No, it's on the mountaintops. It's on steep cliffs that he's able to go and trample and walk on. He says, I will make you as sure-footed because you're going to still continue to go through hard things. And then finally, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Like, that's what you put on a cup. That's not what you live, right? That's what you had your tea in this morning. 
But can you imagine already trying to do it? But it can't just be a little quip. It can't just be a thing that we say like, oh, joyful in the God of my salvation. We need to seek out joy from the God of our salvation. The God who saves us over and over and over again. We have to say it, I will be joyful in the God of answered prayer requests. I will be joyful in the God of not hearing what he says. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation, the God who saves us, who loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you so that you didn't have to suffer. That is what it means to be joyful in the God of salvation, not the God, the Froyo God. You ever go to Froyo? That's like the best invention ever. You got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And we want God to be like that. A little bit of like heavy on like the mean people, right? Like justice God, but for them, right? And then like a little bit of the like heartwarming, like feeling God. And we try to pick what God we want. And he says, I'm the God of your salvation. I'm the God who saved you. I'm not the God who gives you every little thing that you're asking for. And so we need to see ourselves in juxtaposition of who God is. We need to be here and know that we need a Savior. Because he will never be the God of your salvation if you think you are your own salvation. If you are the Savior of your universe, God will never be the God of your salvation. As worship team comes up. Joy can be turned into an expression. And I know it sounds so cheesy, but it's so going to help you every single day to Jesus over you. Jesus has to be over us. He has to be in us. He has to work through us. Jesus has to have every part over who we are for us to then be able to say that we have what joy is. In John 10, 27 to 30, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my Father has given to them and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. If we can understand that no one can take you out of Jesus' hand. Sickness, pain, lies, deceit, cruelty, deception. And we can sit in that power of knowing that the creator of the universe is over you in all things. We can experience what it is to have real joy. And I fully understand that sometimes that's just really difficult. That's really difficult to say that even if God doesn't heal my children, even if God doesn't save my marriage, even if God doesn't heal me, that I'm still going to find joy. For me, it was a really difficult time 
when my sister passed away eight years ago. And I, only time in my life, from a very young age, where I was like, maybe God's not real because she was rad. But I wrestled this prayer over and over and over again. And then I heard a message and it had to say, but God still has to be good. God is still the master of the universe. God is the creator of the stars. God is the creator of everything and he's so much more than this. That can God still be good when really bad things happen? When your even ifs aren't granted? And I had to sit there and I had to wrestle with it. And this was like a very long wrestling time. It was not a conversation. It was months. And then I came to this conclusion. When Jesus came to save, he left this world, this heaven and perfectness and came down for little old me, little old you. And he came down and he said, I'll love you so much that I will take it on. And I'm going to be right next to you while you're in pain and deliver you with my salvation. And the God of the universe that makes these amazing things cares enough about me to say that I would die for you, then God is good. We could remember that God is good tonight through communion. What communion is, it is remembering that Jesus died for us on the cross. But I don't want us to take it lightly of like, oh, there's bread and juice and it's a thing that we do. But you sit there and you say, God, you're good because you died for me. You broke your body for me. I'm going to take this and remember you even if you don't answer my prayer request. I'm going to drink the juice. It's not wine, sorry, y'all. I'm going to drink the juice and I'm going I'm to have it as a representation of his blood covering all of my sins, all of my pain, all of my sorrows, all of my unanswered prayers, all of my regrets. And we have that offered in worship in the four corners of the room. And then lastly, for some of you this might not be heavy because God is just blessing you and praise God. Store it, file it, pin it, keep it. But for those of you that are going through something where it hurts so bad that when you think about it, you can't function, we have a prayer team in the back. And I want to tell you something that I feel like prayer sometimes is the most unutilized relationship with God. And how silly, right? Because we have access to God. Let our prayer team pray with you. Let them hold your hand and wipe your tears when you say, even if. So, Heavenly Father, God, you are so rad. You are so good. But sometimes it really hurts. And so as we sit in it, whatever it is, creator and master of the universe, 
God, that we could come to know one thing, and is that, that you are good. And that we can have joy. But God, if we don't feel joy, that you could show us, give us a glimmer. Help us to find ways that you would be our strength. In your name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.